0: to continue a series that we began after Easter, taking a look at the appearances of Jesus after the resurrection. The question that I'm asking in this series is, what does it look like when we encounter the resurrected Christ? And I have to admit, of all the stories that we're going to look at, this is my favorite one. John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14 I'm going to go ahead and read it to you a bit at a time and offer you just sort of my perspective on this and invite you to reflect on what you're getting out of this too. John chapter 21, starting in verse 1, has Jesus appearing to the disciples for the third time after his resurrection. It begins like this it says, After these things, These things were the other appearances of Jesus. Says after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Verse two: Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the Twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to him, or said to them, "I'm going fishing." And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. The first sort of remarkable thing about this story for me is that Jesus has already appeared twice to the disciples after he is crucified and then resurrected, apparently. I say apparently because Jesus seems a bit elusive after his resurrection, He appears to the disciples here and there, and there's some confusion about whether or not it is Jesus. We have stories like Jesus joining a few disciples on the road to Emmaus. They walk the entire road with him all the way from Jerusalem to Emmaus, don't even recognize that it's Jesus. And then there are other accounts where they say, oh, we heard that the Lord appeared to Peter, or the Lord appeared to the three Marys. All of this is a bit mysterious and a bit elusive, and what's sort of Interesting to me is that after Jesus has appeared to them, including to Peter, at this point, Jesus would have already appeared to Simon Peter. Here we have the disciples sitting by the shore, by their boats, apparently aimless. Struggling with what it means for them to now be followers of Jesus. In this text, when Peter, sitting with his fellow disciples, says, I'm going fishing, That's exactly how I hear it. He's frustrated. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to make of the fact that Jesus, the person he's been following for three years, who he thought would lead an insurrection against the Romans. He doesn't know what to do with the fact that this Jesus appears to have been resurrected. And yet there still is no insurrection. There's no overthrowing of the Romans. What I get out of this is Peter and the disciples, because they don't know what to do. They're confused by the implications of the resurrection. They've gone back to what they know. Which, and I don't blame them. right? I've done that before. I've been at places in my life where I thought something was going to work out a certain way, and it didn't. And I, in my confusion, in my frustration, in my grief, I just went back to whatever it was I was doing before. Not because I wanted to not because it felt like hope, but because doing what I knew how to do was better than hopelessness. It feels a little bit to me like that's what the disciples have done here. Sitting on the shore, boats nearby, probably near their own homes, and Peter says, I'm going fishing. Now, he's probably hungry, too, Maybe you've been in that place too, where, in addition to being frustrated or confused or, or hopeless, you just also were like, hungry, like deeply hungry, maybe like literally hungry, and you're like, I, I gotta go, you know, hunt something or fish for something or go grocery shopping. I don't know, you know. Like, have you ever been grocery shopping when you were hungry? Like, that's bad, because you just buy everything in the store, right? And there is this compulsion in us when we feel empty and unsatisfied, whether it's literal hunger or figurative hunger, like we are driven to meet that need in some way. I think that's what's happening here. Peter and the disciples are hungry. They're probably literally hungry, but they're also spiritually hungry. In the absence of knowing what to do with themselves, they, they go fishing. Then verse four, it says, just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net into the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. In verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved. I've told you this already. Some of you guys have probably already know this. But this is John's humble brag way of referring to himself. Right? That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some, this part I don't get, he put on some clothes for he was naked and he jumped into the sea. Okay, I apologize for the reference to nudity, but it's, just, it's in the Bible, right? I don't know why Peter was naked in the boat and then put clothes on to go swimming. That feels entirely the opposite of what I would do. I would definitely be clothed on the boat. And then I would be inclined to take at least some of my clothes off before going into the water. In any case, Peter's so excited that Jesus has appeared to him again. In the midst of his confusion, in the midst of his deep hunger, he's so excited that it's Jesus that he can't wait to row into the shore. He just jumps into the water and swims. But the other disciples, being maybe a little bit less impetuous than Peter, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from land, only about a hundred yards off. And when they had gone ashore, verse 9, this is my favorite part, by the way. should be yours too. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many that the net was not, there were were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. And this is now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, this is my favorite story because food is my love language. The whole picture of, like, fish being cooked over a coal fire in the morning for breakfast is so, like, beautiful. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had fish for breakfast. Like, if you've gone camping and caught trout and then, like, had fish and pancakes for breakfast, it's amazing. I know it sounds terrible, but it's really, really good, right? It's like the, you know, uh, it's like the Rocky Mountain Western version of like chicken and waffles, right? It's amazing. So there's this really vivid picture of Jesus feeding the disciples. And I just think that this image, this story, it is maybe the very best depiction of a life of faith that I know in the Old Testament. And here's why. First, a couple things I notice. Like the sunrise, Christ appears in gracious abundance after a long, dark night of hunger and hopelessness. That's what's happening here. The disciples are out all night in the cold, fishing in the dark, hopeless, hurting, hungry, hungry. As the sun rises, Jesus appears to them. This is more often than not, in my experience and in the experience of people that I talk to, exactly when and how God comes to them. Just when things seem to be at their worst... Just when you have labored and toiled, frustrated, feeling like an utter failure in absolute darkness, as if nothing could ever go right again, just then, the Son of Christ rises in your life. It's not something you control, but it is something you can count on. That's a pretty powerful image, and one that I think is often true. After this long night of hunger, Jesus appears to feed them. And this is, by the way, what hunger is about, right? Food and shelter, love and belonging, A sense of vocation and purpose in our lives, these are the things that we are starving for, literally and spiritually in every way. And in my life, when I have been hungry for food and shelter and love and belonging and vocation and purpose in my life after a long stretch of feeling like there was no hope for it, right then is when Jesus came to me. Just when I thought there was no hope. I think that when we speak of God, when we speak of God faithfully, this is what we're talking about. When we speak about God faithfully, we are talking about the presence of grace and abundance in our lives just when we thought it was no longer available. When we use the word God, we are referring to the reality that we can't control, that is beyond our daily existence, that is somehow out there, that we can't quite put our finger on, that we can't quite quantitatively measure, that we can't prove substantively, but we know is true, because when we have been stretched to our utter limit, right there, grace appears. Abundance. That, I think, is the life of faith. When we speak about God unfaithfully, we don't speak about grace and abundance. We speak about fear and protection. We speak about control and security. When I said earlier that extreme fundamentalist expressions of Christianity tend to produce people who are ready to do violence to keep people on the other side of their boundaries, this is what I was talking about. When we speak about God unfaithfully, we speak about the God who erects boundaries to protect us and then gives us the license and the authority to protect those boundaries violently. It is a community of fear, and scarcity, and control. But godly communities that are faithful to who God actually is are not communities of fear, and scarcity, and control. They are communities of courage, and abundance, and grace. And so we don't exist in fear. And we aren't ready to do violence in order to protect ourselves. We're courageous because we do stand in a world that is full of uncertainty and danger. But we know, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how long into the night, no matter how hungry, that God is faithful at some point to provide the grace that we need. And like John in the story, the disciple whom Jesus loved, We can learn to recognize these patterns of grace. See, John knew that it was Jesus because of the miracle of the fish, right? That miracle of grace and abundance. John was like, oh, I remember the last time this happened. Do you remember the last time it happened? Maybe you remember the last time it happened for John when Jesus first called the disciples to follow him. And he created the miracle of the abundant catch. See that? The exact same thing is happening again. John says, oh, right. This is what God is like. And his eyes are opened. He recognizes Jesus. Now, do you remember the last time it happened for you? The last time you felt hopeless and afraid and ready to protect yourself. And God somehow came in grace and courage and hopefulness. Recognizing those patterns is how we begin to learn how to recognize, by faith, the encounter with the risen Christ. Because it happens again and again and again. I'll bet you that's happened for you. And as we grow in this kind of faith, we learn to cooperate with that grace as co-creators. I just think one of the most powerful aspects of this story is that Jesus brings this miraculous catch of fish, right? He brings exactly what they need to fill their hunger. They had nothing to do with this. It wasn't their skill. It wasn't their intelligence. Jesus just said, listen, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And boom, they had more fish than they possibly needed. And then they drag it into the shore. And Jesus cooks their breakfast with the fish that they caught. this is how the life of faith works too. By grace and abundance, God provides us with everything that we need. But then we bring that abundance, and God uses it to feed others. (laughs) What a beautiful picture of community. We get to partner with God in that sense. And so whatever abundance God has given you by faith, food, shelter, love, belonging, vocation, purpose, whatever it might be, God wants to give you the opportunity to bring that abundance to a community and provide for others' needs. We get to participate in this economy of grace. There's a Some of you guys know this because we sent out an email, but there's a, a family uh, in the church who are hosting a a young Ukrainian refugee family. And so they just reached out to Janelle and said, hey, we're hosting this family. Uh, They've come with nothing but a stroller because their bags were lost on the plane. And they are in need of a couple of things, a laptop and a car seat for their toddler and a vehicle. Uh, And several of you have already contributed for those things. We already bought the laptop. Uh, And some money is being donated for a car for them to use while they're here If that's something that you'd like to participate in by the way just go to the church website click on the give button Make a donation and put in the comments. It's for the Ukrainian refugee family and that will be used entirely To help purchase those things But you guys this is how it works We bring the tangible representations of the grace and abundance that God has given us, and then we use it to help abundantly provide for others who need it. It's not rocket science. It's way harder. Because it requires you to give up on your fear. Do you hear that? It requires you to let go of control and security, and trust to the grace that God has for you. It's way better. The grace and the abundance of God is way better than the illusion of control and security. Amen? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much again for today, for this opportunity for us to gather, to lift up our voices, to read these words, to be impacted by this story. To have our hearts stretched and hopefully uh, broadened. We ask that you would grow the love that we have for others in need. We ask that you'd break our hearts for those who are hungry, whatever they might be hungry for. And we ask that you would open our eyes to see how you are uh, invading our lives. With your grace and your goodness. Help us to learn to recognize the rhythms of your grace in our life and cooperate with it. Give us the courage to let go of fear and the need to be in control We ask that you would be with, again, the families of those who were impacted by the tragedy yesterday. And we ask that you'd be with the young Ukrainian family that made it here after such a long journey with nothing but a stroller. We ask that you pour your abundance and your grace out on them as well. Teach us how to do this, God, because it's, hard sometimes. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.